progress. I'm 903 years old, and I'm the man who's going to save your lives and all 6 billion people on the planet below. And welcome to another very special episode of Pop Goes the Tam Tam. You've caught me mid Terry's Chocolate Orange. And as I take a moment to finish off this delicious segment, by the way, I'm not sponsored by Terry's Chocolate Orange, but if you want to sponsor me, Terry, go ahead and do it. I will not stop you. (laughs) Let's find out what's behind door number eight of the Pop Gaze the Tam Tam Advent Calendar. And as I open door number eight, here are some clues. A hot air balloon, questionable child labour laws and a red dress. That's right, we're going to be discussing the 10th Doctor special, The Next Doctor. This creature came out of the shadows. A man made of metal. What manner of men are they? Cybermen. For this episode, I've been joined once again by a very special guest. Announce yourself, special guest. Hello, I'm Nick, and I'm here for the podcast. That's right, Tamsin's mum, otherwise known as Nick, is back with us. (laughs) Because it's Christmas and for no other reason. (laughs) (laughs) She only sees me for the podcasts, the Christmas specials. (laughs) So let's jump into this episode. Okay. So cards on the table. Originally, I wasn't sure whether I was actually going to include this episode in these Christmas specials because I have excluded the Regeneration Christmas episodes and that is because when we get to Regenerations we sort of need to talk about them outside of Christmas context really and and for me this episode is sort of the first part of the 10th Doctor era Regeneration cycle because this episode is the first Christmas special that we get for the 10th Doctor where we know that he is actually going to be departing the role. So David Tennant announced that he was going to leave the role and then when this Christmas special rolled around I think that very much informs what this one is even about even with the clickbaity title Mm -hmm. of 
the next doctor. So I was kind of on the fence whether I was actually going to talk about it as part of the whole 10th doctor regeneration cycle but in the end I did decide to include this in these advent Christmas specials of 2022. Saying that however I think it's quite interesting if we actually look at the environment in which this episode actually appears and I have to say even though I remembered that when I watched this episode when it first aired that I knew that David Tennant was going to be leaving when I watched it again this time I'd completely forgotten that really yeah it so I think you can come to this episode without needing to know that this one with the clickbaity title is kind of it's the run-up yeah it runs there's a very strong theme running through this which is loneliness and uh, melancholy I would say is he's, he's, he's a very sad doctor in this one I would agree I would agree but I think you have to think about where he's come from series four where he has lost Donna he's lost Rose forever and I mean Martha's still hanging around but Martha's life has definitely moved on mm. I don't think Martha ever wants to be the Doctor's companion like she was in Series 2. So he is completely on his own. And there's a nice bit where he's discussing um, companions and things. And he says about they move on, they find someone else or they just forget me. And you know he's immediately, that's Donna isn't it? That's Donna. He's talking about all of them really. Martha's moved on without him, you know. He's sort of addressing each of his companions in that speech, mm. the ones that he's had. But you're right about the loneliness, because I think it's even more than just the loss of the companions. I think he's so desperate to reach out to another Time Lord after what happened with the Master. Yeah. I think he's so desperate to make contact with another member of his race that it doesn't even matter if the version that he's making contact with is himself just from the future yeah he's that desperate to form a connection and it's interesting because while i think the knight's doctor was dealing with a lot of issues around the end and the fall of gallifrey and essentially being an exile it wasn't until he fully opened up to rose and told her it's all gone i'm the last one everything is over that I think he fully accepted that that actually had happened. I think the 10th Doctor is a man, is an alien, is a person living with the grief of being the last one. He's, he's sort of rootless, he's stateless. And I'd say in this one, he comes across as a man who is very jaded and tired. And a bit desperate. There's so much sadness in this episode but it's also interesting because when I was watching this I was thinking about the 13th Doctor and Doctor Ruth okay and how in that storyline there's less of this there's less of the fact that you know the 13th Doctor is is she the last Gallifreyan isn't she and I think the reason why that was kind of more of a mystery and less of a sort of sadness like this one it's because Gallifrey's got that time lock on it so mm. it both exists and it doesn't exist it's like become a Schrodinger's cat type yep, planet absolutely um 
so she knows that they can't come out but they still exist in the world whereas this is a man uh, this is the doctor with nothing yeah and you sort of think well he kind of knows none of this is true but he sort of wants to believe it doesn't he yeah i think it's interesting watching it again and really concentrating and seeing the points where he starts to it starts to unravel for him and i think the first point is the screwdriver yes so within the actual episode obviously the doctor's really famous for having his sonic screwdriver and the doctor who he meets played by david morrissey also has a screwdriver but his is actually a screwdriver that you would get from a toolbox it doesn't make a noise yes it does knock knock it's yes yeah, so there's this whole gag about the fact that the sonic screwdriver makes that sonic noise and then uh, the doctor says to the other doctor, David Morrissey, but your one doesn't make a noise. And David Morrissey knocks it against the wood and he goes, yes, it does. So it's quite Good. funny. Nice little gag. And I quite like the running gag about the whistling. Yes, I like that as well. <laughs> we should probably give some context to that. Okay, so sure. Every time the doctor, David Tennant, uses the sonic screwdriver, obviously you get the, the famous sonic noise which I think I've just popped in here. Did I? Was that good editing? We'll never know. <laughs> Future me, well done. So to cover that, he actually pretends that he's whistling, yeah. which is just really lame, but also really funny. funny. Yeah. But I think that's the first point where he starts to realise, ah, this isn't, this might not be what I think it is. No, it's not as it appears. No. And the next point, I think, is when the fob watch, so obviously fob watches from the 10th Doctor era onwards start to become an important totem mm. within the Doctor Who mythology, where essentially um, Time Lords can put their consciousness in a fob watch, close it, and they'll become human and they essentially hide their Time Lord personality. And yet it's all protected within the watch. It's all protected within the watch. Now, the Doctor, David Morrissey, has a fob watch. The Doctor, David Tennant, opens the fob watch expecting for the consciousness to come out of it. And sadly, nothing does. It's just a fob watch and a broken one at that. So, But later on we find out that it's a big clue. Yes, we do, yeah. But at this point, I think that's when he finally makes the connection between what's real and what isn't. And I think he he had a suspicion with the Sonic, but I think he now knows in his heart that, yeah, Something's this, gone on here. this is not right, you're not me. And it's quite sad, I think, when he realises. I think it's really sad. Stand back! What have we got here then? Hold on, hold on, who are you? I'm the Doctor. Simply the Doctor. The one, the only, and the best. Rosita, give me the sonic screwdriver. And shall we just talk a bit about the next Doctor of the title, who is played so well by David Morrissey. Firstly, I just want to say how incredible, what an incredible guest star I think David Morrissey is. He's, a, he's such a good actor. I completely agree. And every moment he's on screen is a moment worth watching mm, definitely i think the chemistry between him and david Tennant is incredible it really is 
you could tell that they enjoyed working together and they lift all of the scenes that they're in. They do. They really do. And as we were watching it, I said to you, I think it's a shame that we didn't get David Morrissey as a doctor. We did. Which and is, I agree with you 100%. It is, it is a real shame. But he would have been marvellous. He would have been marvellous. But then we would have missed out on Matt Smith. Oh, it is what it is. is. What it is. <laughs> but yeah, the chemistry between them is absolutely marvellous. Yeah. It really is good. I think they work together in the drama musical Blackpool. But I would love to see them work together again. Yes, yeah, it wasn't an act off at all, was it? No, it wasn't. It, they just seem to get totally absorbed in their parts and do it to the best of their ability i think they've missed a real trick in good omens not having david morrissey on there because can you imagine david tennant michael sheen and david morrissey in a scene together i'd say (laughs) i would love for that to be a thing i really would enjoy that i mean i don't know if they're gonna do a good omens three i have the sense that i think stage has come to an end now and i'm not sure if there's gonna be a good omens three but if there is listen to us casting people get david morrissey even if it's just like one scene get him in a scene with david tennant and michael sheen this needs to happen because this is the trio this is the trio this is the trio obviously david morrissey's character is revealed to not be a future incarnation of the doctor he is revealed to be a man called jackson lake i was disappointed because i desperately desperately wanted jackson lake to be a time lord we would so love to see the doctor meet another time lord from from back in time or into the future wouldn't we yeah and when we're talking about this like the thing is i'm tired of the master i think the master kind of needs to be retired for a bit a little bit i think sasha dewan did an amazing job my favorite one is michelle gomez i think john sim did a great job obviously roger delgado anthony ainsley the list goes on i think all the masters have been incredible but i think where else is there at the moment to go with that character for me there's only one direction to now take that character and it's to do a loki style spin-off yep that would work you know give the master a spin-off with a companion with stories and because it's the master you could have a timeline where we're essentially maybe presenting derek jacoby john sim michelle gomez and Sasha Dewan as the master in this new TV Mm. series a la the Loki series where you've got all different types of versions of Loki like don't come at me in the comments for this by saying oh but you know Disney Marvel have already done that yeah but they've stolen a lot from Doctor Who so let's (laughs) steal it right back also I can't understand why I mean because it's a, a, a series that is sent in time and space why the doctor has never encountered another time lord mm. in the past or in the future yeah because that would inevitably happen at some point and it would be such a wonderful way to to broaden um the si- doctor who the storylines out a little bit and it would be sad it would be sad it would be deeply sad yeah because yeah it would be because sad. he know well the doctor would know mm. where this time lord's going and where they're going to end up mm. 
but this Time Lord has no idea. And we, the audience, would also know that because they're a Time Lord, chances are they will fall in the Great Time time War. Yeah. So you're having this connection with this character and then you kind of know where they're going, but it makes it fun. And also there's an element there for a potential spin-off. Again. Because I think, you know, now that Russell T. Davis is back, people are talking all the time about spin-offs and they're saying things like bring Torchwood back and things like that. But for me, Torchwood had... A lot, it had a whole run of series. The story essentially ended with quite a rubbish American series. Oh, that was dreadful. Died a death and just leave it. It's been done. The story has been told. You've got a lot of big finish adventures to enjoy. Mm. But for me, if you're going to do spin-offs, I want to see new characters. I want to see new situations. I don't want to see the continuation of things that really have been discussed, been done. Done to death. If you want to go and immerse yourself in the world of Torchwood, you know, there's always fan fiction. You can keep those stories alive exactly. forever. Yeah. You know, and Big Finish have done a really good job at keeping um, Torchwood fans satisfied with all their audio adventures for me i want to see new things and another new thing that i would like to see would be some time lords and we have other time lords to pick from the most obvious one is romana 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 is the most obvious time lord to choose from because not only is she one of the better known ones but more importantly she was a companion of the doctor she traveled in the TARDIS in two regenerations so she would be a great character to pick up with and then obviously there's the Rani and finally there's the meddling monk and to be honest I would love to have seen David Morrissey as the monk wow wow that would be really good with memory loss and a companion it would have been great to have had that in this episode that it actually turns out that it's the monk yeah that would have been so good i would have really enjoyed that so for me i was a bit disappointed that david morrissey was not a time lord and instead just a regular man but he was really brilliant and it was really amazing to watch him and also that his companion Rosita, who I think was a little bit, I mean, again, so we've talked previously in the Advent Calendar episode three about Rose essentially being the ghost of Banquo in the 10th Doctor's era. And yet again, Rose kind of makes an appearance here <laughs> Because the companion's called Rosita. And I think they're sort of like, yeah, okay. Yeah. So the the doctor always has a companion called Rose, Rosita, that sort of thing, you know, Rosemary, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) But I think they had a nice bit of chemistry. And I think one thing I liked was that she kind of, when the doctor was revealing to Jackson who he really was. What I liked was Rosita and the Doctor at some points were non-verbally communicating to each other. She got there about a half a second after the Doctor. And it really showed how quick she was, 
how emotionally intelligent she was and that she really cared about this man who'd saved her life. Yeah. And she wanted to protect him yeah. if she could from this terrible knowledge. Yeah, that was a nice touch. I thought it was a really nice touch because you could see the interplay and they both looked at each other. They like locked eyes and it was, I know, and, and she knew as well. So I really, I liked that bit of acting between them mm. and that it gave her a little bit more to do because she was essentially sort of like, go help the children, go back to the TARDIS. Or just in the background. And, or like, save them, you know, with the axe. But this gave her a bit more depth. I thought that was really, really interesting. And to be honest, I think the 10th Doctor totally should have taken Rosita with him because she'd have looked after him really well. Very resourceful. She'd have made sure his arse was safe. <laughs> Jackson Lake is dead. Cybermen murdered him. You said no body was ever found. And you kept all the suitcases, but you could never bring yourself to open them. I told you the answer was in the fob watch. Can I see? I love the beginning especially. Did you enjoy the beginning? When they first met, I liked it. I liked the chemistry. I liked the banter. I liked the opening scene where he actually leaves the TARDIS and it sort of opens up into that Christmas card, Victorian markets. Yeah, and it was just so perfect. There were allusions to things like a Christmas carol Mm. in it and it knew what it was serving, but we're often used to a lot of Doctor Who things being quite small. And, and dark. And dark. But this felt open, expansive. And you could breathe. You could breathe. It looked like a real place where you really were. Yeah, it did. It looked like a real world. It really got it across. And I thought they did a really good job at that. However, towards the end when it all went CGI-tastic and they just kept showing that small, narrow bit of where they'd obviously filmed everything, um, then it felt very small. But that opening scene, when it expanded out, it had shades of, like, Muppets Christmas Carol in it. Yeah, it really did. (laughs) I really, really enjoyed it. I thought it was really good. I think it leaned in really well into the Christmas tradition and... It was what you expected on Christmas Day. Like you said, very Christmas card. Very Christmas card. It's like walking into one of those um, Medici Christmas cards that your grand used to give you in the 90s. It was just like that. <laughs> I love it. I, I, I just wanted to say about going on from the beginning. I thought that the mystery element to this story was great. Mm. And I really enjoyed it and I got quite absorbed in it. But I have to say that towards the end, I think the pace dropped off. Yeah. And I mean, there was a bit when you said about you wish that she, that Devla Kerwin had arrived at the funeral. That would have been her entrance in the red dress. Yeah, no, let me just stop you there because that's what I was going to just discuss. And you've raised it perfectly. But yeah, I mean, I think that entrance of Mercy Hartigan, when she arrives at the graveside in that vermilion dress, I think 
is iconic could have been iconic if it was the first time that we had ever seen her character but they kind of undercut it as you say by showing her earlier if she had arrived at that graveside and then obviously she's is she in charge of the cybermen they're doing what she says she doesn't seem to be being controlled by them the mystery deepens because we've already been introduced to the mystery of who is this doctor who is this regeneration why can't he remember the 10th doctor and then this amazing woman in this red dress turns up at this graveside who's in league with the cybermen and you'd be like what what to you know take a breath (laughs) but yeah you're so right anyway anyway apologies for interrupting no 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 please continue about pace i I just think the pace sort of dropped off and for me it actually did drop off a cliff really and I, i think the jeopardy kind of dropped off as well what about you yeah i think the jeopardy sort of waxes and wanes i think they did that thing where i felt more jeopardy because there were children involved in it but i also knew it's christmas day they're not going to slaughter a bunch of kids um (laughs) (laughs) even if they are victorian urchins you do yeah absolutely you didn't think those kids were going to buy it did you no you didn't so yeah, there there was a lot of tension in the beginning. Again, around the mystery, around the cyber shades that were quite creepy. I wish they were more I wish they'd been in it a lot more. I agree. Yeah. There's that sequence in the graveyard where the Cybermen are murdering all the workhouse officials. I found that quite scary as well. Yeah, it was it was it was quite frightening, wasn't it? And I actually wonder Maybe that should have been at the beginning, but is it too hard for Christmas Day to open Doctor Who like that? I'm not sure. You know, question mark. Is it appropriate viewing to watch a murder? Like, that's the first thing. No, you've... you've got to suck people in before <laughs> you, you go You've got to suck people in before you go for the murders. <laughs> give them a break. Give them a toffee, then give them a knife. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is Victorian London. Now, talking about Victorian London, I really liked the Cybermen being the villains of the piece because I think there's something really interesting, an interesting conversation about Cybermen and the Industrial Revolution Mm. and where potentially that could lead, which is to essentially emotionless robot people. I liked that. And you said when we were watching it, there are a lot of steampunk elements in it. And you're right. And it sort of lent really well into the Cybermen stories, which often, especially in New Who, so the revival series, I have often felt that the Cybermen, they've had a couple of good stories, but the majority of them are not the best. They're not Dalek stories. You know, I would say in the revival, the Dalek stories, some of them have been incredibly weak, but some of them have been just as strong as the ones we got in Old Who. I don't think it's been the same with the Cybermen. I think there's been a continual struggle from the writers, the showrunners, to know what to do with the Cybermen. And this setting perfectly, perfectly worked for their particular brand of villainy i I would agree with that because i think the 
the way they arrived on earth in this time period which was by accident yeah and the fact that they want to get away really or at least corrupt the earthlings so to speak was really good because i've always felt that that for me the the old cybermen in old zoo were were quite frightening yeah they and were. I, I think they've sort of been defanged yeah been i think defanged. so yeah. yeah the fact that they're kind of unstoppable and can constantly change and and that they they have absolutely no compunction in in converting anyone mm. and yet they've been converted themselves and they just don't care well, that's because they've had all that taken away yeah, from and it's, them. It's, I think that is quite frightening myself. I agree. I agree. Yeah, and I think the problem is with the Cybermen is that they often tend to get blown up by love or blown up by emotion. Whereas one of the things I really liked in uh, Old Who, a particular episode, Moonbase, which was where Polly, the companion of the second Doctor, she made up a sort of solution of like acet- acetone, nail varnish remover, and poured it on them when they were trying to attack her. And it showed Polly in a really interesting light. And it also meant that you had to use more to attack a Cyberman to get them essentially off you than simply oh, I really love my friend or I really love my child or, you know that they were physically vulnerable and does it also say as well with the cybermen i mean with this episode essentially it says that only her mind was strong enough to keep her humanity or keep her sense of self well what does that mean for everyone else who've been converted does that mean that they're weak or not strong that that kind of asks the question but doesn't deliver the answer. Yeah, I'm not sure it works so well as somebody getting a bottle of um, nail varnish remover and just pouring it in their face. I prefer that. (laughs) You know. Go chemicals. Go chemicals, go. And yeah, I thought it was a really, really good place for the Cybermen to land. And like you say, it worked really well for the story. And I'd like to see more stories for Cybermen that put them in these, situations that really sort of dig deep into what is Cyberman and you know how potentially scary could they be they do feel quite defanged Hmm. yeah Uh, when if, if you go back to the old who and you look at the old costumes they were really scary even though they had really poor costumes they look great now but they're not as scary mm mm yeah, you're dead right. Well, I actually thought that when they brought the Mondasian Cyberman back in, in Series 10, how frightening they actually were yeah. because they did look so... They looked so weird because they looked like people that were were in suits. And that is essentially what they are. And mm. that's why it's so scary because they're, they kind of look like people and yet they're not. They've been completely... I mean, they've not just been lobotomised. They've been eradicated. And that is really terrifying when you can actually see, like, the outline of a person. Whereas robots are robots. They look weird. They're strange. 
they're not human so you've got that disconnect haven't you Mm. between the fear factor because it's like all inspiring to see this robot but yeah you're right they are completely unstoppable and that's frightening as well you can you can like stab them shoot them they're not going anywhere so i thought that was yeah yeah. they don't feel anything either do they i mean they don't feel physical pain or anything no they don't and they also don't care if they die no they literally do not care the cybermen do not care and that again is so weird because each individual cyberman is a person but and yet not when they're killed they just don't care and that's that's frightening really like to see for series uh now what's and now i'm trying to remember what series we're even on i think it's going to be series 14 with the 15th doctor okay so series 14 with the 15th doctor i would like to see some really gritty cyberman stories really gritty hard scary make them frightening again Mm. you know Stop blowing stuff up with love and start being like, no, gotta be a gun. (laughs) Or some nail varnish remover. Hairspray. Hairspray. Take them to the salon. (laughs) Talking of hairspray. Well, we were going to say about the trembling with emotion of David Tennant's hair. I think that this is the apex of his hair. It literally is. A thing to behold. It's like a deadly weapon. It's like a deadly weapon. You said at one point if you fell over, you could get killed by it. And I think that's true. Yeah. I think you're right on there. (laughs) I take it this is goodbye. Onwards and upwards. Tell me one thing. All those facts and figures I saw of the Doctor's life, you were never alone. All those bright and shining companions. Not anymore. No. Why do I ask why not? They leave? Because they should, or they find someone else. And some of them, some of them... Forget me. I suppose in the end... They break my heart. Yeah, I think finally, let's just finish off with Miss Hartigan and her villainy. So she seemed, I mean, rightfully, she seemed to be annoyed by the lot of women. (laughs) She was annoyed. (laughs) (laughs) And I don't know what your annoyance looks like, but mine tends to look like I get a bunch of robots from space and then I murder all my enemies. I don't know how you handle it, but that's how I do annoyance. It works for me. It works for me. And it works for Miss Hartigan. She seemed to be... She felt the repression of her era very strongly. She was obviously a brilliant woman who had been relegated to a position of some authority, but not what she felt she deserved. And rather than try to improve her lot in the normal way she just thought no do you know what i'm gonna do murder everyone and take over and i thought it was quite interesting when she had that first encounter with the doctor and rosita she says to rosita i doubt he paid you to talk and that i think was a good 
insight into the fact that she's like a lot of these women yeah. where she wants emancipation for herself but, but she's not interested in lifting everybody up all the other women all the other non-binary people all the other you know people who present as women she's not interested in le- like she doesn't want to help them no. she just wants to help herself she doesn't care about them at all she doesn't care about anyone but miss hartigan mm. and what miss hartigan wants and I thought that was quite interesting. But I did feel at the end of the episode when you had her denouement. Do we want to say it? Have I pronounced that correctly? Denouement. That's right. You do it, Mum. You do the French well. <laughs> so when we had that, it did feel like we were missing a scene. Yeah. Because you go from like the the her head sort of all that stuff, all that information being poured into her head her mind being open for the first time and then her seeing her situation that she's in starts screaming cut to she destroys all the, and it just felt like there was a scene missing between you know i, I, I did find the bit where he removed the control and it was just her and, and she was and she was so terrified. I thought that was quite frightening. Well, I wonder if that's why they cut it, because it was too too much, and they were like, let's shrink this down. It was quite disturbing. But I do think as villains go in the Christmas specials, she's quite a good one. Mm. Because although she's not written too much, you get a sense of a life that she's lived. Mm. There are a couple of things that she says and you get a sense that she's had some bad experiences mm. with men and this is part of the reason mm. not the whole reason because people have bad experiences and they don't get like cybermen to come and kill everyone <laughs> um but you get the sense that she's she's damaged she's unhinged and consequently she's become murderous and but that there was a road that she's definitely gone on and this is what's led to it if that makes sense Mm. and I thought that was very interesting because they just gave us enough and I think you know you've got to think it's a family audience but they've given us enough information that adults are definitely going to pick out yeah parts because I mean for it's always upsetting when you see a woman sacrificing children and she was more than happy to do that well, I think more than that as well. There was a line she said when, towards the end, when she was talking to the doctor, and she was like, um, "Here's another man, like pushing him, or like push." It was kind of like pushing himself on me in the night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I there was that, that bit, whole, yeah. you know, you kind of got a picture of maybe what she was talking about. Yeah. But yeah, absolutely, you did. I think if it's a family audience. You couldn't elaborate on you, that too much. I thought she was just written well enough. And I think Dervla Kerwin, who I'm going to ruin the name of, was, again, incredible. And I would absolutely love to see her in more things. I think we've had, the last couple of years, have been a bit Dervla Kerwin light. And I feel she needs, we need more Dervla Kerwin. And this reminded me of that. Mm. And I thought she was great. And let's do a Dervla Kerwin, Dave and Morrissey. Let's see them in something together. In fact, let's do this. If you're doing a um, a Bad Omens series three, let's have this in a scene. Let's have David Tennant, Michael Sheen, David Morrissey and Dervla Kerwin in one scene. Let's just have that. Let's do it. Do it. <laughs> do you know, I'd love to see those shades doing a TikTok. 
You'd like to see the shades do a TikTok? I would. You're obsessed with TikTok, girl. I love TikTok. You'd like to see him do that snow baby dance. Oh, da, God. Da, 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 da. <laughs> and, you know, our audience will get that because they're so cool. <laughs> so, as we get ready to close door number eight of the festive special. I just want to say again, thank you so much for being a part of this. It means so much to me. (laughs) Thank you so much. I've really enjoyed it. I've enjoyed having you. Everyone has enjoyed listening to you. Any excuse for watching Doctor Who is okay with me. Well, it's any excuse for talk about it. We've been talking about it for years and now everyone can hear us. So I just wanted to say Merry Christmas. Now, obviously, I'm going to see you on Christmas Day because yes. I'm staying with you. We are. But for the audience, they won't know this. So I'm going to say Merry Christmas to you now. Okay. Merry Christmas to you. Merry Christmas to you. We've just done it again. Show Happy holidays. Noel. Say that again. You did a lovely French, but then go on. Show you Noel. Oh, wow. That GCSE paid off. It did. <laughs> well, they're too old for GCSEs. No, what did they level. give you? A rock? You got two rocks (laughs) and a mammoth. Bang them together. Make a spark. Oh, fire. Anyway, goodbye, you filthy animal.